we were literally just figuring out our remix thing like the day they announced stacks. I was like, we were a step ahead of them, I thought. Did you end up having a similar stack to one of the stacks they had? We could talk about it, but our stacks, I think, a little more interesting. We add a little more lenting as well as testing and some of the things that they don't give you out of the box with their stacks. They'll give you jest? They give you jest, but they don't give you some standard defaults for other elements. We found like there was no linting whatsoever or their linting rules felt a little what we thought were ass backwards. So we actually backed it up and we're like, oh, well, let's go configure these linters and these configurations and make them work. But we're definitely using the grunge stack deployment strategy because it was the only one that kind of worked for us because we do amplify for all our deployment and they don't have any SSR support. So Remix, Nuxt. None of that works right now. Neither does Next 12, which is really sad. Is the grunge stack the one on Fly or the one on Architect? It's the one on Architect. We'll definitely speak about that. Do you want to introduce Anthony? Yeah. Tracy Lee and Dustin Goodman, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Excited to be here. Why don't you let our listeners know who you are and what you do? Sure. My name's Tracy. I am CEO of a company called This.Labs. You can follow me on Twitter at Lady Elite. That's my work title, but community-wise, I'm on the RxJS core team. I am Angular GDE. Just became a GitHub star, which is pretty exciting. Microsoft MVP and all the other things. So I just love, love, love community, and I'm always happy to like hang out and chat with people. And podcast host. Oh, yeah. Modern Web Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we have to have you all on to like trade. Yeah, totally. And I'm Dustin Goodman. I'm an engineering manager at the Stat Labs. I'm not nearly as cool as Tracy, but I love talking tech and doing community stuff. One of the big things I'm doing is I'm leading up a lot of our open source initiatives internally, which I think we'll talk about today. Yeah, it's really, really exciting. I'm like stoked on that type of stuff. I know that this.labs has been around for a while and has a pretty significant staff. So I'd be curious how the open source stuff kind of interfaces with dev or consultancy type stuff and like has it all kind of fit together. So I think it's funny because every single consultancy I feel like you talk to is like, yeah, we're doing consulting, but it's our dream to actually do other stuff. And that other stuff could be like building product or doing open source. So in terms of that, we're not that different, right? It's always our dream to like do more than that. I think this thought generally, we do a lot of community things, state of events like GraphQL, Angular, React, contributor days related things. But part of that also is just giving our developers time to give back to open source. We've recently created two projects and, you know, that's just separate from the time and consulting stuff that we generally do. But yeah, Dustin's been leading up those two initiatives. We have a third. We actually have just our open source repo too. That one may be a little more related. Our developers, of course, are working on these client projects and they're also working on some of our other internal initiatives. They'll have these ideas that are like, man, it would be really cool if we could abstract this concept away from something we're doing. One of our engineers, Balaj, he was working on some routing for one of our internal projects. He's like, man, this is a little complicated the way it is. Like, I feel like this could just be extracted into a configuration at the Angular 
their routing level. The next day, he just kind of whipped out a quick proof of concept. And that was our first ever open source project that we launched as part of our initiative. That's kind of how it comes together. Usually it's like somebody does a thing like, man, it would have been really nice if this existed. I can definitely talk about some of the other key initiatives. One of them, Starter Dev. What's really cool about this is one of our architects was actually like, yeah, I've scaffolded probably like 10 Next projects this month. That's a lot of Next.js configuration, setting up Jest and like doing the, the whole song and dance every time. He was like, it would be cool if I could just like MTX start project. That's all he wanted to do. And six months later, here we are having that as a reality for him. And, you know, for those of you who starter.dev is the URL, but Remix came out with their stacks and we were there first. No, we were probably actually thinking about it at the same time because they launched it and we're like, ooh, we're just about to launch the same thing. Very similar anyways. So yeah, check out starter.dev if you just need like a really good place to figure out how to architect things, you know, how to kickstart a project. It's been really, really useful. And there's more stuff. Oh my God, I almost just called them stacks. There's more starters coming out. <laughs> I think Stacks as an initiative is a really cool thing because not only do they help companies who want to start up fast and then people that are building many projects, but also beginners that necessarily struggle to put all the components together, create the correct, you could say, standards to write their code by, making sure there's a linter in there, a tester in there. In my early career as a React developer, that's actually what I needed the most. Not necessarily that I couldn't glue all of these things together, but actually doing it in a way that seemed logical at first without me going, hmm, how should this look? Was and would be, in my mind, one of the biggest benefits of these open source. They're not stacks. I'm just like, I keep what Starter kits. Starters. Open source starters. <laughs> it's like next, next, nest starter stack i mean what do you do <laughs> i think that's what's really kind of amazing about this particular project that's kind of what the motivation was how many hours have we all spent like starting a new project in a new technology stack and wanting it to just be this immaculate amazing thing but not knowing how to do it what was kind of great is at the same time we were partnering up with the angular team to build actually a clone of github with angular 13 we ended up using apollo and tailwind to kind of demonstrate architectural best practices, given a bunch of different features that Minko really wanted to highlight, like routing, state management, and other features like that. And so we were like, why don't we do the same thing, but with all of our other starter kits as well? We had this great opportunity where we had this great idea we had just completed with him. We took it and expanded it. So now each of our starter kits actually ships with what we call a showcase. And the showcase is, it's just a GitHub clone that we've deployed to amplify and you can kind of go click and play with it we've actually stood up our own oauth server that way we didn't have to like reinvent the wheel of oauth every single time we did one of these and what's great is now you have like the kit but then you can also see like how do you actually use this kit in a real world situation beyond just the basic to do in vc because how many times have you gone, picked up a new framework, like, all right, how do you build something? You go look at to do MVC and you're like, well, that's basic. How do I do routing? How do I do anything with the router? How do I do, how do I do, you know, that question? And we were like, let's do this. And so you have like this really complicated dynamic route with like the file explorer. Because, you know, every time you click into a new file or folder, the route changes and it's this compounding route, which is, I think, a really cool feature to have implemented in the first place. But then you get more than just like the basics of like a simple like display component. We have a uh, prism or Prism. I can't remember if it's Prisma.js or Prism.js. They're so similarly named, but it's the one that's the code viewer, the file viewer. I think it's Prism. Prism, yes. I always get it confused because there's two Prismas out there. There's the Prisma that's behind GraphQL and there's the Prisma that's the database people. Tech needs to just like stop doing this to us. 
The database people and the prism people behind GraphQL are the, are the same people. Oh, are they? Okay, well, that, that makes me feel a lot better. They used to be a GraphQL tool, and then they kind of switched to being more of an ORM, so that's why it's a little bit confusing. They were called GraphCool originally, and then changed their name to Prisma, but it's the exact same company. Got it. See, that's helpful. And I was just talking to the guild about the new GraphQL that they're working with the foundation on. It's going to be so cool. That's exciting to hear that like their work hasn't died. It's just changed names, but it still confuses me every day, because I still know it as Prisma Graphical. And what's funny is Prisma was the original creator of GraphQL Yoga, which they then passed on to the guild to maintain. Oh my god, life is so confusing. It's just all one big blob. (laughs) I totally agree with you, Christopher. I like the idea that the starter kits are really helpful for junior developers because everybody just needs an example of like how to do things the right way. I feel like that type of content is definitely missing on the internet. Yeah, this is something Ryan Carniato is really good at. He has his Hacker News clone and he's built like a Hacker News clone in every single framework and so that's a bit more involved than a to-do. I feel like you need to hot take it and put every single starter kit into a best use case list because yes, there's Remix, yes, there's Next, yes, there's Angular, but which one should I use for an e-commerce app and which one should I use for a dashboard? Nobody wants to say which one is better and what frameworks are better at what. They just say, oh, it can be used for everything. And it's like, no, we need to start defining frameworks by what they're good at and leave other frameworks to do them other things better. That's my hot take. I'm very passionate about this, obviously. I was about to say, that is a very hot take. But that's actually really funny because I feel like we should add that into our other open source project that we just started or that, you know, just kind of launched. So it's called framework.dev. And framework.dev, one of the features that I feel like is sort of hidden that I feel like we need to kind of fix the UI on is you can actually go and search, you know, let's say state management libraries in React, then you can actually click on the compare button, and it'll let you compare the different libraries. Yeah, maybe it's like, well, this is good for X. But then, you know, again, hot take, right? Could be a hot take. It is very much a hot take, but it really gets me where it's like, I think it's from my days of like Gatsby 2, where I was like, oh, Gatsby is the source of everything. Like, use Gatsby for everything. And it was like, yeah, it was good at blogs, but don't build a dashboard in it. And I think it's very much still true today of each framework. 100% has unique use cases and some will excel than others, but actually trying to highlight them in one when you're building the with that framework, but also when you're 10,000 pages into the framework, they really start showing their differences at both stages. If we all looked at the internet today, it would be saying, just start building everything in Astro. They've got everything figured out. <laughs> when you go to start something, normally have like a specification. Oh, I'm building a dashboard or a store. And if you take it that high level and go, what framework should I use for a store? Well, you can make good decisions and bad decisions. I would say Gatsby is still probably a good decision for an e-commerce store. Or is it a bad decision? We all would have different opinions there, though. I'll share my fun hot take, which is the only acceptable solution for that is something that's fully server rendered. And that's just because of cart security and all the other stuff that e-commerce stores are doing for you. I spent a lot of years in the Magento and Shopify ecosystems. If you're not familiar with them, Magento being built upon Laravel and PHP, Shopify being built upon Rails, there's a reason they're built that way. Front-end JavaScript frameworks and those particular ecosystems don't usually mesh, but I think Next, Nuxt, and Remix specifically with their SSR are kind of the future of front-end frameworks that could be good at that. I don't think Gatsby is quite there. Mm. 
I actually saw this framework.dev thing that you had put out, and I think it's a really great idea to be able to like easily compare different projects against each other with like different kind of open source metrics. And this is kind of what B Dougie is getting at a little bit with open sourced. I'm kind of curious because I'm looking at right now the framework comparison, and I'm looking at like Astro, Gatsby, Next, and Redwood. And you have four things: you have testing coverage, so like how much the framework is tested, weekly downloads, stars, and then an overall health metric. So the stars and the weekly downloads make sense, and then the testing coverage makes sense. But then there's the overall health one, and the numbers don't necessarily correlate with all the other ones. So it's hard to know what that one overall health metric actually is like where it's coming from and kind of like boiling everything down just like a single number just be like it's this healthy without really knowing what's behind that number is something that can be kind of problematic i think our numbers are based off of i want to say it's npm io oh i gotta find the exact website we're actually using a third party to source those numbers another open source initiative and project because why not use all the amazing tools that already exist and i believe if i remember the aggregation there it's a combination of issue count last commit and number of test failures over the last 30 days. So it's kind of this aggregate. I don't know exactly what their calculation is to be completely forward about it, but it, it's some combination of those three things. And so if you don't know that, no one knows. I need to go document that a bit better. Basically, you should trust everything that's on the internet. And because this project told us it was right. No, but I mean, that's a really good point, right? Like we should definitely be adding a little tooltip to show people like what overall health score actually means to make it more trustworthy information. So thanks for pointing that out. I'm big on like data and communicating data correctly. It's so easy to just like use quote unquote data. <laughs> no, I mean, you have a totally good point. Both of these projects are open source. And so we've been getting a few people like sending issues and saying like, hey, what about this? What about that? And that's kind of the feedback we're looking for, right? Like we're always trying to improve it and make it like something that's really useful for people. So we also got to add FS Jam to the podcast list. You can submit a PR. <laughs> I probably will. No, love it. Yes. It's very easy to add. What was great about this project, speaking of Astro, we built it with Astro when it was still very early alpha, which was possibly a mistake. I'll admit that we're having a lot of trouble upgrading. We actually tried to get all the way up to 1.0 recently and kind of fell flat on our face because uh, we use vanilla extract as our CSS system. Let's just say it doesn't work until they actually fully release 1.0. So we're kind of stuck for a minute, but it was nice because we got to do a lot of the static kind of site generation, which really helped with some of those optimizations. But it was really neat kind of using some of that new technology and then kind of being like, hey, we're able to do some of the same comparison stuff. Astro is a super cool technology. And I feel you because I implemented Gatsby too. And we all know how hard it was to migrate off of that one. It's so funny because I feel like as developers, we want to be on the bleeding edge of technology all the time. So it's like, oh, there's this shiny new thing. And you're like, man, I built this in the shiniest new thing ever. And then you're like, oh, no, now it's coming out of alpha. Oh, God, what do I do now? I think it's really funny, like talking to developers who again, are all of us are, but I feel like a lot of junior developers are like, dude, I'm going to build it in the newest thing ever. And then some of the more seasoned developers are like, maybe you should like chill out a second. Maybe we should use something like a little more stable, potentially. A bit of PHP 
Am I right? Well, I think the mistake you made was doing a hip framework and a hip CSS thing at the same time. That's where it always gets that. I got Chris and he tried to use twin.macro with Redwood. Twin's pretty great. Don't hate on it. I didn't hate on it. I had problems. I had performance problems that I was very much pointing a finger into a gray blob and thinking, it's one of these. Which one is it? There is actually some questions that I really want to ask. You are one of our first agency guests and I've actually had quite a lot of experience with agencies in my time but never experience with agencies that focus on javascript technologies all the agencies around me that i communicate with often or use say wordpress and all these other things one of the big questions i want to ask is did you start with more of the traditional frameworks of like wordpress and then move into javascript or was the agency set up as we're just going to focus on these next generation current generation technologies you mean the modern web yes the company was actually formed November 2016. I think like right before them, it was like ES 2015 was coming out. All the new stuff was happening. I can't remember where Vue was. We actually started the company because we were really passionate as me on the ArcGIS core team, Ben Lesh on the ArcGIS core team, Taras, one of our other co-founders. We're just like really, really passionate about community generally, right? It was like, okay, well, maybe we should like do something interesting and useful. So got this company started. It's always been Angular, React, Vue. We've chosen not to be a specific framework or library in the very early days, which is not that long ago. We were doing a lot of Ember work as well. Anything that's modern and exciting like Node, GraphQL, React, Ember, Svelte, Lit, whatever is things that we focus on. We've never done like WordPressy stuff. And have you found that when it comes to like a typical client as an agency, you get people want to move over from more traditional monolith systems to this modern web, or they just pick you guys and you're like, this is how we do it compared to what everyone else traditionally does. I feel like people find us because we do work on those modern technologies. It's either, hey, we're looking to migrate from something to something else, or hey, we're using this new technology and we need help with it, or hey, we need somebody to help us from an architecture perspective because we're stuck. Yeah, there's a lot of that. A few years ago, I feel like there was a lot of migrating. But nowadays, I feel like there's more people who are using the technology, the technology has been adopted, and they're trying to make sure that they have best practices in place or increase the velocity of their projects. I mean, granted, again, we still do have a lot of people who are looking to migrate. I feel like maybe the enterprise companies have kind of jumped through those hoops already and had those conversations. I think there's also a good bit of people looking to expand upon their existing solutions and solve problems that they haven't really seen. And we've just been in a fun and unique position where we've worked with people to develop some of those solutions or have done it in a bunch of different ways, like Media Jams with Cloudinary. Last year was a really phenomenal project we got to work on, and we really got to start exploring the world of MDX. And I think that really made it a great opportunity for us to work with Dan and Rachel on the React docs, creating the component library that backs the new beta site. And this is actually a really interesting moment of the industry, I think. Where does money come from to work on open source? Is it companies spending money on employees, agencies to help them? Or is it just relying completely on volunteers and open collective? These are like really big questions, not that I'm asking to you because I know some of the answers in my head, but sometimes it's better to get external help on from a company. 
I think it's definitely difficult. Certain library authors have done really good figuring out how they get paid for the work that they do. And certain library authors have not. RxJS core team, for example, we've never figured it out. Every time it's been brought up, like, hey, maybe we should start something to get money. It's like, well, where is this money going to go? Do we need the money? For us as a core team, it's just gotten too complicated to ever like visit from a serious perspective. But again, there's there's some libraries that have done it so well. Henry from Babel. I don't know if y'all remember that drama. It was like a few months ago or something. So I mean, they did it really well. They were supporting themselves. And then, you know, they were having difficulties. And then there's all this Twitter drama and whatever. So I don't know. I don't know. But I think companies are more willing to pay for work in open source. And it's more relevant, I think, in some projects, like for example, Node, right? I mean, you have Red Hat and you have IBM and a bunch of other companies paying for full-time staff to just be on the technical steering committee and do amazing things because they want that technology to live on. You see it the same, I feel like, in GraphQL as well. But some of the other technologies, I think you don't see it as much in. Very much so. And it's that thing about also talent. Talent is such a hard subject to cover. I think one of the main things that I think about often when I think about agencies, when you work in a company on specifically a product, your knowledge area gets very defined by that product. You know, what you can do, what you necessarily can't do, as in your knowledge of, say, the frameworks of all these things. But when you work in an agency, you more have the choice to explore more projects, more use cases, more. I built an e commerce store this month, next month, I'm building a dashboard for example and i think that is something that some people relish it feels like a catch-22 where some people would say oh i wish i could just work on 20 different projects in a year and then you feel the other way of like i wish i could just work on one big thing i think you're always swapping between both of them this kind of somewhat segues off of this because there's a big question of how do we fund developers and i'm in the blockchain web3 world and questions of how do you build in incentives into the system is really important. And that usually involves having some sort of governance mechanism that allows people to allocate funds in certain areas. But I was actually curious to ask you about this, Tracy, because you did some podcasts, I think towards the end of last year about Web3 that I thought were really good and really interesting and seemed like you were dipping your toe in there a little bit. But I wasn't sure if this.labs was going into it or if it was just kind of you doing it like in your free time for fun. What is the context of kind of like Web3 for you? I'm excited about Web3. You know, a lot of my friends have obviously gone from the Web2 to Web3 world, if you want to put it that way. The thing about Web3 is that I think it's it's like really scary for people, right? Like developers, JavaScript developers are like, what is this Web3 thing? What I'm really passionate about is just educating developers on, hey, you know what? This is actually pretty easy. It's not scary. Look how easy it is to do. I kind of stuck my toe in and I was like, wait, I mean, I don't know why I was so scared. I mean, this did not take that long to like write a simple smart contract. Like it feels very natural. I'm hoping that this doc can help educate developers generally by getting JavaScript developers like Web3 curious in a sense. There's still a lot of education that needs to happen, but we are doing things like working with Chainlink, for example, if you're familiar, and we've built out quite a few projects. Dustin's actually been leading those, a developer portal, and then there's another one. It's not released yet, so I don't want to quite put it out there. Oh, whoops. 
it's kind of in a weird state right now, so I don't want to I don't want to ship that one before they're ready. We have helped them build two resources so far. The first one's blockchain education. That's what they called it, and it's a website focused on teaching developers new to the blockchain and Web3 space how to get started safely and securely. It's been a great opportunity for that. The other thing we've built with them is smartcontractdb.com. This is similar to our framework.dev. It was funny. We actually, we had developed framework.dev and Chainlink was like, hey, we want to do something very similar, but for the blockchain ecosystem. And so we've created actually a framework.dev for the blockchain and smart contract ecosystem where you can go look up different libraries and technologies, groups, communities, all the education materials you might need in order to be successful inside of the Web3 ecosystem. And these are just two really great products that we've been able to help them produce and publish. And we're building one more. I'm leaving it in stealth because I don't know if it's going to make it or not. I'm hoping it does. There's been a lot of back and forth on it. But we are also starting to build a dApp for them. Kind of excited because it's intended to be this exploration and, and education thing where it's going to be a a step-by-step guide on how to build your first app using a bunch of their technology, them being Chainlink, as well as just general things. Uh, We're actually going to use the Solana blockchain. We were going to use Terra, but then Terra had all of that incident stuff the last few weeks. We've decided to shy away um, because it's a little bit of a security risk. And part of the process and part of this whole development cycle is we want to teach developers how to be safe while developing in Web3. Like, yes, there is this scary factor because there's security and things you have to be concerned with. But we don't want to go be the Wild West development and be like, yeah, it's so easy to make smart contracts. Like, here, stand it up, send it out. And what we want to do is we want to show them like, hey, here's how we did it. And here are the security measures we took to secure down the application we built. And here's some very important decisions we made along the way to help you not shoot yourself in the foot later and be a victim of a scam on the Terra platform, which we're hoping they fix soon. Fingers crossed for them. But it's been a little uh, dicey over there for a minute. Yeah, the whole kind of debate around like stable coins, like it's it's kind of own subject onto itself. I think the point about it being like scary for JavaScript developers and confusing, I think comes from the terminology and especially the fact that it's based around cryptography. It's also based around like finance to a certain extent and then just like incentive systems and economics and all this kind of stuff, which even though programmers are nerds, they're nerds in like a specific way. So they tend not to be into like some other kind of nerdy stuff, I find. Once you kind of get past all that and you like start learning the terminology, I think it's not really that complicated. I know for me, I'm kind of lucky that I got really interested in blockchain and cryptocurrency years ago before I even like knew how to code at all. So then once I learned how to code, I already have all that context. I can just be like, all right, well, like I need to know Solidity because that's what everything's written in. So you should go learn some Solidity and then you figure out what's the tool you use, like deploy the smart contract and then you can kind of get up and going. I agree that the really nitty gritty smart contract vulnerability type stuff is really hard and not well taught. And it tends to be you just write something and then you like take it to like a full firm that like audits for you. And then it's like, all right, pays 100 grand. Yeah, that is very true. I think security is the biggest thing that developers kind of run on. But again, I feel like if there's more education in the world just about how to do things right, also with Web3 stuff, the resources out there, it's like, is this relevant? Is this shady? Is this going to try to steal my private key? Who knows? It's kind of like the wild, wild west out there. So like what we're trying to do with Chainlink is just develop really high quality websites that look very legitimate and that are very legitimate so that hopefully like developers have a really good place to go versus just trying to Google and again, getting stuck in this like, like, for example, if you say you've been scammed, you've been in a Bitcoin scam. 
I don't know if you've ever posted that. I posted that once. All of a sudden, all these people are posting like, oh, I can help you just fill out this form. Oh, this person can help you just fill out this form. And the form is actually trying to scam you and get your private key so that they can get more of your money. So that's life. Yeah, I get constantly tagged with like, tweet something with like 15 people tagged and then it links back to like an NFT thing. Basically, they're trying to get you connect it, thinking they're going to airdrop you an NFT and then they actually like will take an NFT out of your wallet or something like that. Yeah, it's so terrible. But like, how do you know, right? That's the scary thing. I've gotten two of those on Twitter in just the last week. I'm like, huh, I don't even have a wallet. I'm wondering how they're gonna uh, get my money. Go ahead and start a conversation in your DMs on Twitter. And I'm curious to see where that goes. (laughs) I kind of am too. I'll report back. Are there any other topics you want to get into, Chris? There was uh, one more topic that I think is super useful is that not only as an agency do you provide coding you also provide training how does training look you know as a developer i think why would i need training but how does like training of frameworks and tools actually look okay so i'll give you a great example there was a there's this one company they do angular and net so you have all these developers that do angular net and Vue. But they've decided, the engineering management team has decided that they're actually going to go with React. And so you have all these .NET, all these Angular, and all these Vue developers who are like, well, okay, we're going with React. What the heck do we do, right? So once you start going down that path, just like you said, Christopher, right? Like, even if you're a seasoned developer and you're going through a new technology, you're like, am I doing this right? Is this architected right. And what we see actually is, you know, when you see this transition from Angular to React, for example, is a lot of Angular best practices kind of trying to be shoved into React, for example. And so those types of things are things that we try to like help people with from a training perspective. But also our training is a little bit different. While we do provide just general corporate training, we also provide kind of like on staff training, if you will, where we're kind of pair programming with people on an ongoing basis, attending their weekly planning meetings, and just helping them get on the happy path. You see this a lot with RxJS as well. I mean, hot, hot, hot messes (laughs) with RxJS. So that's the type of training that we do, if that makes sense. Very much so. You can kind of say like sometimes these fall into like workshops as well. I did the remix workshop where it was like, so you understand all these things and we're going to help you through these things. As a company, you know, if you can help companies avoid making a tangly mess later and they have the resources to pay for it, it definitely shows its dividends for sure. My last question is, what are your predictions as an agency to the future of JavaScript? You know, are you making any bets? You know, is Remix the go-to for you? Is Angular still living on forever? I don't think that Angular is going anywhere. I think our developers right now are very excited about Svelte and Solid. However, we haven't seen much work come out of that yet coming our way. React, in my opinion, has built such a great ecosystem. Like React isn't even a library anymore. I feel like it's more of an ecosystem than anything. I feel like React is really, really here to stay. Dustin, what about you? I actually want to hedge my bets on Vue a bit more. I think they made a very good decision and I love all the work Evan's been doing. Their integration into the Laravel framework out of the box, I think it's pivotal to their future, but I also think it's going to show other kind of existing backend type framework teams, like people who are still doing Rails, Django, Spring. I think they're all going to start 
yielding towards these front end frameworks more. And I think they're going to start finding things like Vue is a good place to hedge bets. I think Remix and Next are going to kind of be the bidding war of the future for some time. We'll see how long it lasts. It's interesting because we've seen this history of 10 years ago, we were doing things like Rails where everything was server side and we were doing all server development, rendering plain HTML, not doing a lot of fancy JavaScript. And the trend's gone more towards front end JavaScript over the last five years or so, maybe a little longer than that. But it's like, hey, build a SPA, build on the front end, everything should be front end rendered, loading states, etc. And now we're getting back into this game of everything should either be static or server rendered again. And it's almost like we full circled, but we full circled in a different way where the front end frameworks, like it's still about the UI, it's still about the user experience, but then the back ends are more about being closer to what we know as front end developers, making us more capable as what a lot of people think of as full stack developers these days. You're still going to have your back end specialists who are building your microservices, do your crazy machine learning and data science based algorithms and running your processes. But for the key API front end interactivity, I think you're going to see Next, Nuxt, and Remix being strong players in the future. I'm with Tracy. Angular's not going anywhere, and it's going to be here for a long time. And I think they're about to make some really cool pivots, especially with this new release for 14 that they're getting ready to really wow the world with it in GCOMP. I'm really excited for that. That's kind of my bets. It's all going to be here. It's just going to be in a different shape or form. Well, it's really funny, especially with like react too, right? Like, you know, for many, many years, it's like, oh, react is just a library. Like, that's all it is. That's all it is. And you know, oh, we don't like angular because it gives you everything out of the box. It's too opinionated, this and that. But now what's becoming popular in react is all these like full stack frameworks. So it's like, it's just funny how you know, the world keeps going around and around and around. Well, I think with angular, it was very opinionated to an extent, but it still wasn't really opinionated on like the back end. So it's like you ended up with a really opinionated front end framework specifically, which I think is kind of a weird place to be. But honestly, I've never done any Angular dev. I'm talking out my butt here. I mean, good point. Good point. <laughs> I do see a future of what we're saying about like React staying around forever. And I very much think so. But I think React is going to be eroded over time with adoption of other frameworks. And I think where we really see this starting to take off is in most of Tanner Lindsay's frameworks. Well, his libraries. He's renamed all of them to TanStack and removed the React and also is going to have adapters for Vue, Svelte, Solid, and React. So is this where we're going to start seeing that React layer erode to that level where the React is no longer the first four? It's I can use Tamstack with Remix and Vue because there's also Vue bindings to Remix coming to what I've seen and probably Solid. So what makes React React is going to be a really good question. And I think in the next few years is if I can use Remix plus Tamstack why should I use React? Why shouldn't I use Solid or Vue? I think these are the questions that we will see in the next year, for sure. I think that's a great point. Although, didn't he only do that with what was formerly React Table? Isn't it just TanStack Table and everything else is still pretty specific? Or did he change something else and I missed it? It's TanStack Query today is Vue and Solid and Svelte and React, TanStack Tables, and also TanStack Virtual are the three that he's converted so far. But I suspect that he will convert all of them to multi-framework bindings. That's actually really cool. I missed the uh, the other ones. I had seen him rename React Table to TanStack 
table, which I was really excited for. I mean, you're right about Remix wanting to do view bindings, but I also think Astro is another good example of this, where out of the box, it's you can do Preact, you can do React, you can do View, you can do Svelte. They're already thinking the same thing. And I think we're we're going to have library agnostic frameworks, but still have library specific implementations in those frameworks. Very much so. And then it's very much going to make what choice to pick even harder. And then it goes back to my highest principle. What's the best use case for this? If you're going to create an enterprise dashboard, well, you probably want to use React or Angular at this point because they're the most well used. Using something something like Astro with Vue to create a enterprise dashboard, I think would hurt a lot in the long run. It would hurt the developer a lot. <laughs> I think that's a really good thing to do. I want to start interviewing all the library authors and ask them like, what do you use it for? But what don't you use it for? Because I feel like we would get a lot of strong opinions that are also valid on the internet. So that would make the hot take even hotter. <laughs> yeah, we've interviewed, I think, almost every framework at this point. I mean, ask all of them that specifically quite a few of them we did so if you check out the backlog you can hear quite a few framework authors talk about the trade-offs of their frameworks i think that's roughly all my questions have you got any more questions anthony i think i'm good why don't you go ahead and let our listeners know where they can find both you two on the socials and then where they can find the stop labs sure you can find me on twitter again at lady leet I'm always happy to chat uh, on at this dot. You can actually find us at this dot labs or this dot media on Twitter. And then the website is just this dot co if that isn't confusing. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter. It's uh, Dustin S. Goodman. There was already like three other Dustin Goodmans. And they all beat me to the punch, unfortunately. Pay me on Twitter about just about anything. Love talking tech. And we're hiring. So if you want to come work for a company like ours, it's 100% remote and global. And we're also Web3 curious. <laughs> Not doing a lot of Web3, but at least Web3 curious. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for being here. And hopefully we'll get a chance to chat again soon. Thanks for having us. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Bye. never had anyone from next jazz because next jazz is great everything come out <laughs> um